Welcome. My name is Craig. I'm one of the lead pastors at Walnut Hill. I want to welcome all of you who are online, also on our campuses, New Milford, in Waterbury, and in the Valley in Derby. Great to be with you here this morning. This is an amazing story, isn't it? It's probably one that you uh, probably learned if you were in church as a young person, as a very young child. And if it's a new story to you, it might have at first, if you had never heard it, you probably thought, where is this going? <laughs> this doesn't sound like this story is going to end well. And I want to, as I've asked you to do many times before, try to enter into this story as if you're reading it for the first time, as if you've heard it for the first time. Because when you've heard it a lot of times, you could easily skip to the end in your mind and not see the drama that was being played out. Even in the words that were used, your son, your only son, how many times was that said? Several times. To, to reiterate to us the preciousness of the potential sacrifice of Abraham. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this sermon series is all about what it looks like to live by faith. We, uh, we created a definition of our own that we think kind of captures this concept of faith. And it says this, A deep conviction and sincere belief in God, who he is, what he has done, what he has promised, and what he will do that leads to trust and action. I really like that definition. If you take out the middle words, the shortened version is a deep conviction and sincere belief in God that leads to trust and action. We're gonna really hit on some of those points today. Last week, uh, we had a great sermon from Greg. Uh, Greg talked about Gideon, this amazing story of the way the Lord provided it, and, and, and through a person who didn't see himself as a mighty warrior, but God named him that, and he lived up to it. It reminded me that uh, there's a lot of days I don't feel like a mighty warrior. Probably you feel the same. You probably wake up and feel like a, you know, a wimpy peon, right? <laughs> I know I do. I don't feel like a mighty warrior, but the Lord tells us that he has, he has made us something that we are not. He has instilled us and, in, and in, indwells in us his Holy Spirit and enables us to be who we could never be and to do what we could never do apart from him. And I appreciated so much what Greg reminded, of us, reminded us that by faith, we are mighty warriors of the Lord. Today, I want to hit on two main points. Number one, what does it look like to pass the test of faith? Because here we have an incredible story of a test of faith that Abraham experienced. But you and I have tests of faith in our lives as well. What does it look like for you and I to pass the test of faith? And secondly, what does it mean for us to move out in faith? To move out in faith. Now, I'm not necessarily talking to you uh, adults who have young adults still overstaying their welcome in your parents' home about moving out in faith, although it could, it could relate to that as well. We'll see where it goes. It might apply little background on the story of Abraham. If you're familiar with this, bear with me, but good to remember where Abraham came from before this story occurred. He came from this land of Ur. You're going to see a map on the screen here. Ur was quite a ways away from Israel. You can see that little line. He went around the desert to get to Israel, and he came to that place having lived in a, a land where he was wealthy. He was settled. His family was there. He had a hope and a future there. There was things going fine for him, but he was coming from a thoroughly pagan background. 
He did not know Yahweh. He did not know this great God who we serve. He was, this was completely new to him, but he heard the voice of God and he responded. God calls him to leave it all behind. And he does. Now jump a little bit further ahead, Genesis 18 and also Genesis 21. He and his wife Sarah, having gone on a lot of adventures to get to this point, are promised a son through Abraham. But they were both too old to have kids. Abraham, it says, was 100 years old at the time. And a year later, their son Isaac is born. And this, in Genesis 21, it says this, Isaac is the son through whom your sons will be counted. He's, Isaac is the son of promise that comes to he and Sarah in their old age. And then Hebrews 11, 11 through 12 says this, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, even Sarah, <laughs> though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nat nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. Incredible what the Lord had done, the promises he had fulfilled in this couple's lives. Now we move from this, this story of promise in Isaac to the call of God for Abraham to offer Isaac as a human sacrifice. And that's the story that Tim read for us so beautifully. And I think you have to ask yourself, again, if you're reading this for the first time, don't you have to ask yourself, is this blind faith on Abraham's part? Is it possible he's mis mishearing God? How, how is it that he would do this deed, that he would set out to do this? Now, I think you could argue it was blind faith if what I just shared with you wasn't already true, that we didn't already know, that he had come through incredible faith-building experiences in his life. He had seen God provide in amazing ways. I do wonder if he would have been slower to obey if he hadn't already seen God work mightily, but he was quick to obey because he had seen God's hand. God had been faithful to him, so he knew he could trust him, and he wasn't acting blindly because of that experience he had had with his God. So let's talk today about the passing of the test of faith. Have you ever in your life needed perspective? I, I say this to you maybe often. I think you'll probably hear me say it before. I know for me, there's a lot of times in my life the Lord has to sort of show me perspective. Here's what I mean. I'm gonna con it's confession time, okay? You ready? I'm gonna be a little vulnerable with you today. Lately, and, and I'm, I would say lately in the last few years, I found myself saying these words, sometimes to myself, and unfortunately, probably out loud sometimes. Well, my wife has definitely heard it. I didn't sign up for this. You're starting to cry a river for me right now, right? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. During the pandemic, I think it became my mantra at times. I wasn't all that pleasant during that season at home, for sure. Because it, during that time, I was doing something completely different than what I had expected I'd be doing in that season. I was making hundreds of phone calls, sitting at my home office, home office, which is a desk in my bedroom. It was a little depressing, I have to say. With my, as you, you guys went through this experience, with my kids trying to do school, and we had a new dog at the time, good old Bob. He was a wild man, just barking all day long. It was, it was driving me a little bit nuts. What I loved about ministry, and what I still do, is that the time with people face to face, and it was gone 
for a season. And I found myself saying, man, I didn't sign up for this, God. Come on. I was bored, frustrated, sometimes feeling kind of useless, a little angry. I put my anger into some good use. I painted the entire exterior of my house during that season. And I, and I, I think I did it angrily, but it came out pretty good. So thank God something good came of the season. And then, to be serious, some of my closest friends got sick during that time, and several of them died. And there were times when I literally was standing next to my friends' deathbeds with their families, and when I went home, I would weep, and I would say, God, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I expected I'd be doing so much. I mean, I understood as a pastor I'd do this some, but to do it as much as I was with people so close, oh, it was hard. And then recently, contrary to the stories that my brother and I have told about each other over the years, we love each other. And we've loved working with each other over these years. And I'm sad to see my four nieces and my sister-in-law and my brother move off to Michigan. They live 15 minutes from me and we are involved in each other's lives. And I'm sad to see them go to Michigan. And yet I know the Lord has called them. And so I've said to myself from a family perspective, hey God, I didn't sign up for this. I thought we were gonna have a few more years of this enjoyment of working together. And from a work perspective, I probably said this to my brother a few times, I didn't sign up for more work and more preaching and more stretching and more testing and more challenges. I didn't sign up for this. But I know you're not playing your tiny little violins right now for me or crying a a bunch of tears for me. I know that. Here's the perspective story. And it happened for me, it's happened for me a lot of times, but it happened for me again when I was just in Israel with a great group of people. One of the people that was in Israel uh, her name is Vicki Beatty, and Vicki has served on the mission field for many years, most recently in South Sudan, and, and it, this, this story didn't, probably didn't mean anything to her, but it was, so, it was so good for me in the moment. I think you'll appreciate it. Um, I was traveling, as I say, with Vicki, and we were talking about staying hydrated because it was a very hot week and a half while we were in Israel, and at times we were going to places like the Dead Sea, lowest place in the earth. I mean, it's blazing hot there. And I was worried about, especially some of our older folks, drinking enough water. And so, you know, I always get on the horn and I say, you should drink three times the amount of water that you think you should today. And I watch people start down in water, which is great. But Vicky and I were joking about this because she said, you know, when I was in South Sudan, it was a problem. Staying hydrated is very hot. But I didn't want to drink so much water that I'd have to get up in the, eve- in the night to go to the bathroom. And you're thinking, where is this going? What do you mean, Vicky? Well, the structures that she lived in were very basic. No attached bathrooms, and in a lot of cases, no running water. If she needed to go to the restroom, she had to get up and go to an outhouse in the night. And you'd say, well, what's the big deal? Well, friends, there are 11, 11 highly venomous snakes found in South Sudan. That was the big deal. Perspective, right? Now, that's... That, when she talks about this, by the way, she's not saying, I didn't sign up for this. She's just telling a funny story. And I thought, man, what a, what a perspective moment for me to remind me of my first world problems as opposed to, in that case, her fourth world problems. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me say this, I'm not saying that your situation, the things you're going through aren't difficult. I know some of you are going through dark nights of the soul, difficult times in your life. Things that you didn't sign up for. 
But what I am saying is that the test of faith, if it is a test of faith and not something that we brought on ourselves, which we'll talk about in a second, the test of faith is the one that the Lord has allowed for you to go through. And it's the one that he will be with you through. That's what, one of the things we learn about the test of faith through the story of Abraham. Let's look at it. Let's look at the test of Abraham's faith. First of all, it is really important to note that God never intended to have Abraham kill Isaac. Did you know that? He didn't change his mind at the last second. He never intended to have Abraham take Isaac's life. He was just testing him. Now you could say, this seems like a cruel test. I've spoken to some of you and said, when I first was a believer and I read this story, this was a hard one for me to get. I put myself in Abraham's shoes and I thought, Lord, why would you do this to this poor man? Let's remember that the Lord was gonna entrust him with the, the growth of the nation of Israel, God's own people. But I can't really answer the question, why this test exactly? Except for the fact that we're gonna see the prophetic move of God through it. But it's important to note the difference between a test from God and the results of sin or poor decisions. This was not Abraham being punished, friends. Really important to note. Let me show you the difference. I can tell you a story here from 1 Kings 11 and 12, just but I'm only gonna read a short section, about the difference between a test from God and, and the punishment of God. You're gonna see the difference, it's, it's very clear. There was a promise to this king called Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11:12. It's summed up in these verses that you're gonna see on the screen, 1 Kings 11:37 37 through 38. And I will place you on the throne of Israel and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. This is the beginning of what's called the divided kingdom. For some time there was the Davidic kingdom, or sorry, the, the kingdom of, of Saul, then David, and then Solomon, but then it broke up into two sections. The Lord was giving Jeroboam the, the northern section, which was called Israel, which can be confusing, but the 10 tribes he was giving to Jeroboam. And this was the amazing promise. Do you hear some of the words? You will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen, if you follow me, if you simply obey my commands. That's the promise. What was Jeroboam's uh, choice? Tragic. He rejected wise counsel time and again. He set up golden calves to be sacrificed to in two locations, in the north in Dan, the furthest north of his kingdom, and in the south, furthest south of Bethel, in the, in the south of his kingdom. Why did he do it? Well, he, I'll tell you why. He said he did it. He said he did it to make it simpler for his people to worship God, but really it was a power grab. He didn't want his people to go down to Jerusalem, to the temple where they were supposed to go and worship, he, because he thought, they, he thought if they did, they're gonna defect and go to the southern kingdom. What's the result of all this? He reaps the harvest of his sin and his bad choices. You can read it just a chapter later in 1 Kings 12. 
It's unbelievable how quickly he gives up on the promise of God. This is not Abraham's story, friends. No, not at all. He was not reaping a harvest of destruction. He was not being punished for something he'd done wrong. No, he was humbly trusting the Lord and stepping into a test that the Lord had designed for him. He was passing the test of faith. He did it through sacrificial faith. He was willing to give what was most important to him. He was willing to show the Lord. He was willing to do that. This was the son that he loved. This was the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise that the Lord had given to him. But it's interesting, in Abraham's own words that we were just read, he either was deceiving the servants that came along with him, or he believed that somehow he and Isaac were coming back from that mountain. You remember what the words were? He says, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I will travel a little further, we'll worship there, and then we, then we will come right back. Now, we don't know if he was just trying to go do what God had told him to do and leave the servants behind, or if he truly believed that they were coming back. Well, we don't know if we only read this story, but we do know when we read Hebrews eleven nineteen in the New Testament, listen to what he says, what's said here. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So the New Testament writer believes that Abraham was doing the, taking this test, succeeding in the test, knowing that God was going to provide somehow. I think that's exactly what's going on here. See, when God asks you and I, just as he asked Abraham to do something very difficult, when he tests, he provides the answers. He provides the answers. Now, on the flip side, don't forget the story of Jeroboam. We can't blame God when we knowingly act out in sin and make bad decisions and ignore wise counsel. Don't blame God for that. That has to be on us. Now, the beauty is we can go straight to the Lord, ask for forgiveness, and move forward from those things. Sometimes we have to live with the ramifications of those sins and bad decisions, yes. But the Lord forgives us and allows us to move on. But here in this situation and in, in the situation you may be in today, some test that you're experiencing, the Lord wants to provide the answers for you. Abraham was willing to sacrifice what was most important to him. Secondly, he, was, he had this patient faith that was so incredible. He didn't know how the promises that were given to him about the nation of Israel were gonna to come to fruition. They're supposed to come through Isaac, and yet here he, here he was potentially having to sacrifice his only son. He had, to, he had to wait before this moment for Isaac to be born when he was 100 years old in a way that should have never happened. And now he's being asked to do something that he can't even understand. There on Mount Moriah, he even, right to the last second, what do you have to wait for? that ram to, to show up miraculously, stuck in the thicket, ready to be sacrificed in place of his son. Can you imagine what a challenge it was for him in that moment? Can you imagine? I, 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 think of, I thought about this some this week because you try to put yourself in the, their position. He goes up the mountain with his son. We're not talking about it. He's not carrying his son. His son is carrying the wood, so he's a teenager. They're having a conversation. His son's like, Dad, what, what are we doing here? We forgot something really important, Dad. 
the actual animal to sacrifice. <laughs> they get up there, and how slow do you think Abraham laid out that wood, <laughs> you know? Getting it just right. He didn't want to have to do what he thought God was asking him to do. And then he waits to the, the Lord waits to the very last second to say, hold your hand. I've got something in place of your son. There's patience here. Friends, God doesn't throw generic tests at you. He didn't do that with Abraham. He threw a specific test, his direction, for specific reasons. He wanted to find out if he could trust Abraham with a lot more. So often that's what the tests are in our lives. He wants to find out, will you be faithful through thick and thin? Can I trust you with more in my kingdom? Can I trust you to be faithful when it gets hard? Am I gonna, are you gonna see this thing through? That's so often the test of faith. Secondly, I wanna talk about moving out in faith. Abraham demonstrated this by being responsive. He responded when leaving the land of his people. He, he packed up and left. Genesis 15, 18 to 21 tells us what happens. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is even before he had that name, Abraham. And said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by all the ites. We won't go into reading all those. And then later on, he says, go to this Mount Moriah. It's not necessarily a place that he knows. And what does it say about Abraham? He sets out first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. There's an immediacy about his response. His faith had been built by the previous experiences as we started out talking about. And now he knew he could trust God and he went something like 50 miles. You'll see the map here. Not a short dis distance from the Negev Desert north. And if you've gone to Israel with us, you know that this is pretty much a straight uphill walk 50 miles to this land that the Lord had told him to go to. There's a sense of immediacy. Here's the question for you and me. If you knew that the Lord was telling you to do something, to go somewhere, to say something, to change something in your life, how quick would you get going? Abraham went immediately. 50 miles from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. To a place again that he didn't even know. The unknown right in front of him. I, I can relate to this in some way. I want to just tell you a personal by faith story that I've gone through with my family. I didn't have to go that many miles, but it felt like I was going to a foreign land. It was in 2008, 2009 time frame, and this church, Walnut Hill, decided not to build bigger buildings here in Bethel. We felt like that wasn't the answer. We had prayed as a church. We, we were growing. We wanted to reach more people. We felt like the Lord said, now is the time to move into new communities. Sometime during that 2008 year, our then pastor Clive came to Amy and I and asked us to pray about starting a new campus, the first one outside of Bethel. And, and Amy and I really sought the Lord. We prayed, we sought good counsel. Um, we, we seemed to stumble upon strategic scriptures as we were praying and seeking the Lord. And we felt like the Lord said, it's time to move out of your comfort zone and say yes. This is even before we knew where we were going. We didn't know where the campus was gonna be. 
We actually got in a car regularly, Clive and I. I drove, because I didn't like to be in the passenger seat with Clive. And we drove up and down the Route 8 corridor. We knew the Lord had said, go east. And we went down 34 quite often to Derby, up the Route 8 corridor, all the way up to Winstead, and we really prayed and looked at different locations. And, and Clive and I didn't actually see eye to eye in that time frame on where we should go. He loved Derby, and I really liked Watertown. And the reason I liked Watertown, if I'm honest, is it felt a lot like New Milford, where I grew up. And I thought, well, of course, the Lord has, the Lord has you know, pro- provided for me. He's, he's given me real experience in you know, kind of Litchfield County, small town ministry. I'm very comfortable there. Of course, this is the kind of thing the Lord would do. Well, interestingly enough, we couldn't find a location in Watertown. We could find nothing that would serve well as a church because we had to rent something. And we couldn't find anything in Derby either for some time. And then one of our friends who was helping us try to find a location had an aha moment one day and said, I don't know why I didn't think about this, but there's a school here in Waterbury. It's a private school. We should go over there. I've been there. They've got lots of different facilities. Chase Collegiate School, right off of Exit 18. And the first day we went, we walked into the room that would be our sanctuary, and this was the, you can see the picture. Actually, I think this might have been from the first Sunday. But it's hard to see in the picture, but on the beams above, you can barely see it in that photo, this is what it read. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8. What? Why would you spell it out that well, Lord? Why would you tell us that well that this is the place to go? It was incredible. Here's, this is former St. Margaret McTurnan's. It was Catholic school in the, back in the day. This was something left over from their past. Don't think it meant much to them at the time, but it meant a lot to us. Not only was it the right location, but the, the price was right. Everything was right about it. It was incredible how the Lord provided. But I tell you, I wasn't ready to go to Waterbury. No disrespect to my friends in Waterbury, but I grew up in New Milford. My wife grew up in Granby, small town. We were living in Danbury at the time. We had kind of made a shift into a city. We really loved it. But our impressions of Waterbury weren't great. I love Waterbury now, but at the time, it was just a place we drove through, and we got stuck in traffic. And, and as a kid, I would go to Bob's stores to get my sneakers, because that's where you, know, you could get good-priced sneakers. That's about all I knew about it. And from being in this area, the reputation of the schools wasn't very good, and I thought, Lord, you could, you know, so you, we'll live in Southbury, God. Just plant us there, and we'll just commute to Waterbury. It's close. And then we'll be between both campuses. It'll work really well. But the Lord kept saying to us, if you want to minister to these people, you have to live in the city. We, we knew it. it was no, there was no question. And then he provided for us a great house. Guess where it was? There's a crosswalk from the neighborhood I live in that you get out of my house, walk about 100 yards, cross it into the Chase campus. Walking distance. For years, my family walked to church, like old-timey church. It was incredible. Okay, there's more, but wait, there's more to this story. Do you see how that step of faith, how the Lord just continues to provide? That's what I'm trying to point out to you here. The test of faith, there was a test there. Will you be willing to step out? You don't know where you're going. Will you be willing to step out and see what he does? And we did. 
There's a family photo coming up here of us that first year. I mean, we're, this, is my, this is my young family moving to Waterbury. I love these pictures where the kids don't look happy at all. We, you know, we don't love, we found that these are the pictures we like the best, you know, the real ones where your kids won't sit still. This is what the Lord did for us. And navigating the school system, because we went public schools our whole, our whole time, wasn't always easy. But before we went there, we felt the Lord say to us, I'm going to provide specifically in this area of schooling. And we said, okay, Lord, we don't see how that's gonna work. There, this is gonna be challenging. And I'm not gonna tell you every story, because I'm telling you, every year we have a story of how the Lord provided. I'm gonna just tell you one. It's a most recent part of the story. So that school that we started the Waterbury campus at, Chase Collegiate School, actually went out of business. And a year later, it was purchased by Aces Magnet School. It was the school that my boys were going to in Meriden. It moved across the street from us. And my son, Drew, went to that school for two years. He walked to school for two years in middle school. And middle school was always the challenge for us in Waterbury. What a full circle story, right? It's almost, you almost can't believe it. I, I can't, I still can't sometimes, thinking how God provided amazingly. It was, what a great school. He's going to this beautiful campus, and it's, he knew it better than anyone else because he knew every little nook and cranny from that place being our church home. Our responsive faith for us meant a literal move into a new community that we came to know and love. People ask me now, well, you're gonna be in Bethlehem, why don't you just move? We're not moving, we love Waterbury. I don't, I'll take the, the traffic, because now the Lord has placed us in a place that we know we're supposed to be and we love. It may not be the case for you, you may not have to move, but you will have to move out in some way, from your comfort zone, from some, the things perhaps that are keeping you from truly being used by God in a mighty way. Moving out in faith requires that. Let me, let me close with, with the concept of prophetic faith because this is the last piece I want to share with you. Why Mount Moriah? Here's a picture from our most recent Israel trip. Standing on the Mount of Olives, you can see a gold dome in the background. Can you see it there? That gold dome is the Temple Mount, the same place where the, the sacrifices were made. Now it's the home of the Dome of the Rock. And Jews to this day will go to what's called the Western Wall, you'll know it as the Wailing Wall, and they'll pray. Let me ask you this question, why do they go there? They could go anywhere to pray. Why, why do they go there to the Western Wall? It's the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. I heard Karen say it, because she knows it. Karen, you're cheating, you've already been there several times, no. It's the closest place they can get to the original Holy of Holies of the Temple. That's why they go there. Hold that in your mind for a second. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham says. And then in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, it says, Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh. That's what you, how you know it better than Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. It says, to this day, People still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, that's what they named that mountain. The very same mountain you're looking at right there. That's the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, Mount Moriah. 
Doesn't look like a mountain today because it's changed over the years, but it was then. There was nothing there. Later, a thousand years later, David comes in the, into the area and he buys this piece of land from a particular person. And it's the place where the temple will be built. And he says, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing because Aruna was trying to give him the land. And David said, no, 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 I have to pay for it. Keep those words in your mind for a moment. It's the same place that Jesus would, would replace along with that sacrificial system by becoming the perfect sacrificial lamb. He replaced the temple with himself. He became the way to God for all people. Listen to Jesus' own words. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said the temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Here's what I want to say. It's amazing what one faithful act can, can accomplish. Abraham's act of faith set in motion the whole story of Israel, and it led to our Savior's ultimate act of faithful love and presence. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to the Western Wall like so many people do to pray, to try to get close to the Holy of Holies. Why? Because our Lord Jesus replaced that way with a better way. He replaced that system with himself. And we can enter straight into his presence, into the Holy of Holies, through this prophetic act of obedience by Abraham. Isaac put wood on his shoulders and went up to the mountain. Jesus put a cross on his shoulders and went up to, to Golgotha. Jesus provides all the answers that we need to pass that test of faith you remember what I started out with? Talked about trust and action. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? He will make your paths straight. Even through the testing, he'll do it. He wants to do it. He will do it. He wants to give you the answers to the tests that he's given you. He wants to see if you're going to be faithful so he can entrust to you more. To be used by him in even greater ways. No matter where you are in your journey, I know that to be true. He wants to do that in your life. And then action. He's the one who walks with you as you move out in faith. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. But then let's not forget what it says after that. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us as we step out in faith.